Hello and welcome to Bad End Podcasts, uh, a 108th episode. I kind of, I say that, I was like, I accidentally said podcasts and then I saved it. <laughs> My name feature. is Josh Calixto, uh, joined by Kyle Cookstell. Hello. Uh, I was not here last time. That's the first time I have not been on an episode in a minute. Um, it's true. If you have not listened you should take a listen because it's it's a really great episode talked with greg k of kithriotis of um shedworks who they developer of sable we also talked with gareth damian martin aka jump over the age person behind uh in other waters and then the upcoming project citizen sleeper so check that out really really cool episode some really great insight in there about game development but not just that but just like the artistic process and how that applies to games, I think, was what I took from that. And there's like just a lot of stuff that you don't think about as a person who plays games that much. I feel like we're so disconnected from the experience. It's like we're so alienated from the labor, <laughs> as it were, <laughs> <laughs> to reach into my Mark's uh, pocket. But it's like when you eat a fucking steak, you forget that it's from a cow. When you play a video game, you forget that it's from like people who wanted to make a video game. Yeah. You know, it's like that. And that's the part listening to you, my friend, Kyle Cookstill, and mm -hmm. like, you know, other other people who are in around your stature, maybe, you know, a, a few steps above having published and actually put out these bigger scale games uh, already. Um, it was just cool to hear that perspective and just just kind of be on your level for a bit. I think that's what I took from that. Yeah, it was, I think it was really cool. We wanted to do an episode that was sort of focused on game development because obviously we talk about games a lot. Um, my, I mean, I work on video games full time um, and uh, I thought it would be just cool to have Gareth, obviously, from um, them running Heterotopias and then Greg had just put out Sable and it felt like a good time to just kind of like not like get super into the weeds with game development, but really get into it in a way that I think that only um, a game developer with a podcast that's not about game development can get into it where we didn't like, it wasn't like a developer focused episode. It was really, yeah, I think it was really about like the creative process and making games and then all the stuff that goes into um, like doing that and how I think like Greg sort of brought up that there are these, uh, they're just these huge sort of like buckets of stuff. Uh, Gareth always brought this up, brought this up as well. Just talking about how it sort of feels like when you're making a game from like a game developer's perspective, you're, you have this sort of nebula of references and intentions that sort of float around you that eventually congeal into what becomes the idea, which is like, you know, the same as a lot of other creative fields. But I think to see how you go from sort of that kind of like creative open mindset into practicality was really cool to talk about um it was just fun to hang um i think like yeah. <laughs> one thing that both of them brought up is that i mean i feel this as well like none of us really feel like we're in the games industry despite having like published <laughs> yeah. or i haven't cantata's not out yet but both of them have published games um and like that you can buy on like the switch and steam and are like well regarded uh, and the idea of them still not being in the games industry, I think was an interesting talk as well. So yeah, I think if you're interested at all in game development, if you want to hear more about some like cool factoids about Sable that I don't think have been said anywhere else besides bad in podcast, 
Um, listen to that. Listen to that episode. I think you'll have a you have a good time. I think it's it's accessible for newbies. If you're you don't need to know anything about games programming or making games to I think find value. It's just about the creative process and making it happen. Yeah, like even if you're not interested in game development, as it were, like you'll still get something like that question about what's in your save files was like <laughs> i was like what that's a question that you can ask someone like that's i didn't even know that was like a non-standard thing i have a whole you know? podcast idea that is literally that question it's just asking people what's in their save files which i said on the podcast so if you listen to that then you'll know that this is already a beat that i'm on but yeah <laughs> yeah it's 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 a cool idea you should do that dude or you just make a video, make a video about it. Yeah, I'll make a video about it. I feel like I have no time to do another podcast, but yeah, we do have this podcast, which is about video games. Oh, also before we start, shout out to everybody. We've been getting some great listenership and bad end. And if you're new to the podcast, we have a discord like every other games podcast out there, but different than every other games podcast out there. Our discord is cool. It is not just like four people hanging around. Uh, it is the super culture discord. So it's Funland, heterotopias, bad end bullet points and the super culture review, which is currently doing a series on the berserk manga, all that stuff. One discord come and hang out. Um, we have a great community there. If you like what you hear on the bad end podcast and like the way that we talk about video games, definitely check it out. It's a cool place to be. It's a cool place to ask questions <laughs> Uh, if you're new to games and you're like, what do I play? That's like not, you know, some jingoistic Call of Duty bullshit. Like everyone would love to tell you. If you want to talk about K-pop with Josh, that's the place. That's the place to do it. If you want to talk about anime, talk about video games, we're talking about making games, talk about everything. Speaking Life. of anime real quick before also before we dive into video games, uh, Ranking of Kings. I was trying Everybody to find needs to how fucking to, watch how do you this watch shit, this? dude. Josh, it's tell on me how to Funimation. Watch this. It's on Funimation, but it'll probably be on other stuff. Like now that, cr like Crunchyroll's owned by Funimation, so maybe it'll be on there. But maybe Hulu, dude. It is like it's gonna. It's landmark shit. Like really, really? I'm. There's three episodes out, and they're all like there's shit in every episode that feels to me like masterclass in animation storytelling. You name it. It's Ooh, that yeah. sounds cool. It's not like a I wouldn't say it's like a technical achievement type of thing, but as f when it comes to like the iconic nature of like what's happening and the storytelling and just how effective it is, like it just feels like something that like a college professor would show their like you know, Japanese animation. 104 students or whatever so you no know longer like, paprika you're saying it's ranking of kings uh yeah yeah i mean maybe probably paprika paprika would still be in there <laughs> for sure <laughs> satoshi cone done ranking of kings new best friend uh yeah no con is still he's still in there he's still cool but he's still he's still just, a boy please just watch that shit for me like i need someone to talk about this stuff i want to watch it i was i was amazing. literally you said that and i was like i'm gonna try to find this because i usually you have pretty good anime recommendations so i was trying to find it's it and couldn't figure out how to watch so it oh good dude like i i'm just watching these episodes just in utter awe like there's just moments where i'm like how how are you doing this i don't understand anyway 
Let's talk this about is video a video games. game podcast. <laughs> Let's do it. Let's talk about video games. Um, we should start with Metroid Dread. I was wondering if we start with this. Let's start. I think we this. should. Let's start with doing Metroid Dread because we got a lot of fuel. We got a lot of fuel. Can I just say, the fucking game cycle this year has been insane. The fact that Metroid Dread, like the first big two D Metroid game in sixteen years or something insane, came out. There was like a whole flurry of discourse and has like disappeared. I've seen zero about Metroid Dread um, since there like, like is no discourse. I think there discourse was like, is dead. There dude. was like sort of difficulty. Oh, just like in general, there's just no discourse. Yeah. Discourse like burned itself out compared yeah. to like five years ago. The just the it, the general existence of discourse is just it's totally just different now. Besides bullet points. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I just mean like the one thing that all of games Twitter is talking about today, you know, <laughs> like it's very, there's really not as much as there used to be, or it's happening in places that are not, that I'm not aware of. what you think about Dread, Josh? <sighs> okay. We, the context <laughs> behind this, we have a Metroid Dread channel in the Bad End Discord patreon.com slash bad end that we've been all kind of going off on the game and like kind of critiquing it we have a lot of criticisms in there in general but i like the game overall i think it's the type of game that will probably recede in my mind over time as far as like how good it actually is i feel like it's one of those like when you play it and i went like right when you finish it it's like hmm like that was pretty that was pretty fun that was pretty cool but i you know two years from now i'm not really sure where this thing's gonna be for me you're like it sure is a 2d metroid game i think is like the there's no like but that's not the thing is that like i saw a lot of words about like there's not much to say about this game other than that it's a new Metroid, which to me is like not the takeaway from here at all, because it's not just another Metroid game. It is it is to previous Metroid games what Aliens is to Alien, in my opinion, like though, like sure previous games were a lot more about atmospherics. They were a lot more about like this mystery and exploration. The whole like Metroidvania thing was like a byproduct of wanting to evoke the sense of adventure in these like alien lands uh, of, of the early, you know, Nintendo era that were kind of necessitated and by these like kind of gameplay gates that Metroid introduced and have become tremendously popular in the years since. But I would say that this game is not about exploration. It's not really about like tone and atmosphere. It's about like shooting shit and parrying stuff and doing mm -hmm. boss fights and running fast. And it's like, like Samus is angry. To the next got point. something to prove. Yeah. And I think that they factor that into the story pretty well. Spoiler alert. Samus is mad. Um, <laughs> but it's not like that's what they're trying to do with this game, which to me feels like a very different mi mission statement than what Metroid has been trying to do in previous games. And for better, or for worse, like was really good at doing before this, you know, like yeah. to be like, this isn't going to be a moody atmospheric piece in it for a series that did mood and atmosphere really fucking well. 
it, it's got its ups and its downs. Do you remember, I'm trying to remember, there was that really great piece that someone posted um, about Metroid sort of in its sort of anti-action game that like the framing of it, people, I think like sort of what you were saying where oftentimes a lot of people would um, like project uh, like action constraints onto Metroid as like a, as a, as a game in part because of like the Metroidvania genre, which is for people who don't know, like basically Metroid and Castlevania, um, they would like project sort of like the needs and wants of like Castlevania esque action oriented games onto Metroid when the Metroid games are often more about sort of being in place and like, um, there was obviously action like Samus's arm is literally a fucking gun, but like the, um, I think Metroid is often sort of felt like a, an odd duck in its own genre where it's this thing that's sort of against type. Like even something like Metroid prime is like compared to like modern shooters is like very, very downbeat. Like you're not doing a lot of like first person shootery stuff until like the later games in the prime series, but Metroid prime one at least, um, was pretty chill. So I think dread definitely feels like they're like, okay, it's a fucking action game. Like it's, you are shooting and running around and like you have a lot of like mobility powers and stuff that are more geared towards like feeling cool and flowing than like, um, uh, like exploring or whatever. Like you don't even, I'm at the final, I'm literally like at the final boss fight. I got to it like last night and I don't think this is like a spoiler, but like I never got a spider ball, which is like a huge part of Metroid, which is this, you roll into your ball form and you can like, you know, move around walls doesn't make any sense from like a, a battle attacking perspective because you're, you're slower when you're in ball form. You don't normally attack from the ball form. I'm trying to think of like any game where there was like even some like attack component of it. It was purely about exploration and it's like not in the game at all. Um, right. As far as I know, unless it's, <laughs> unless I missed it or something. Um, but there's like the emphasis is like, like Josh, like what you're saying, right? It's like fully like, it is now like this is what an an action oriented Metroid game would feel like, right? And it it is a really good manifestation of that, in my opinion. Like the it flows really well. I think the action stuff feels premium. When I first started playing the game, it it almost it feels like you're fucking playing a Bugatti type thing, you know, like a <laughs> some some kind of car with an Italian name equivalent of a video game, and like that stuff is great, but it kind of wears thin and it, there's like a bunch of holes in it design wise that really stand out over time. Because when you take away the thing that works really well about Metroid, I, I start nitpicking the other parts of it that are like supposed to be action stuff. And that, yeah, it's like, you can't graft, like you can't graft the action of like dark souls or any sort of, or um, hollow Knight onto Metroid and hope that like just everything else just kind of works, you know, because you have mm -hmm. to do a lot of other things to make up for that. And it feels like they are making sacrifices on the other end as far as the atmospherics are concerned. So it's it's not this kind of thing where they're like only adding and not subtracting. There's a lot of subtraction like how you're talking about. The perfect example is how there's no spider ball. Like mm -hmm. they just don't care that much about you exploring. And what's funny is that the game kind of loses some of its identity in the process, which the big note that I kind of took is that a lot of traversal in this game and like other past Metroid games is this gated progress thing where you're 
that's the whole Metroidvania namesake, right? Is that you will go into a place and then you see these things that are like, you can't get past it. It's like a wall that is unbreakable. But later on, you get like a super powerful cannon that can destroy this wall. But like the way that this game works is like you, it doesn't really matter what weapons you have because you will always get the weapon you need right before you get right after you get to the part that needs it or right before you get to the part that needs it. Like they are always funneling you back into this, the place that you need to be when you need to be there, which is mm-hmm. uh, it, at first it feels like a very elegant design decision. And I feel like this is like the small cosmic brain of like such an elegant design decision to like guide you down the critical path that you need to go down. But then it's like, you start to realize that like, the entire game is this, like you are always being funneled down the critical path, which makes the entire existence of progress gating via special weapons, like kind of useless. Like you don't, I mean, it makes me, it's like, it's bad enough where I feel like with like 15 years of like design learning and like 15 years of video games or whatever that like, this doesn't work. I think it's like the, my biggest takeaway is that like <laughs> yeah. gating by weapons is, does not work as a design system. If you look at like, we talked about um, like dark souls a little bit in relationship to Metroid dread. And I think something like bloodborne or dark souls one, this like sort of folding that they do on top of the levels feels like it could be very Metroid E and it's like a different approach to that where you're, you're in some senses being gated by just skill Whereas like other older Metroid games were just gating by like colored weapon. And they sort of did that at um, the downside of that. The levels themselves could feel very like misdirected. So you were doing a lot of backtracking and it seems like this game is like no more backtracking. All you do is move forward and you'll like pass stuff that you can't do yet, but there's like no interaction point there. So it's just like teasing you all the time with stuff you can't do by the time you like come back to there, there's no like, like there's never like any point where you have to sort of make a decision. Um, Well, that's the whole thing is that like this started out, like we got to ask what was the entire point of progress gating this way in the first place, which is you can't at the time they couldn't make like a true open world sandbox. Right. So Mm -hmm. like to evoke the feeling that you are seeing something new, they needed to like, have give you that sense of like going into a place where you could not go before. So it was like the way of doing that was they just don't give you the tools to do that. And then when you come back, there's this revelation of like, Oh my gosh, I have the tool. I can do this. Now the world feels like it's opening up. It feels like I'm going into a place that I was not able to go before. Mm -hmm. Whereas video games have evolved. It's given us new ways to explore. If you look at outer wilds, like, it feels like you have an entire universe to go around, you know, like if you take something like Grand Theft Auto, like you're walking around New York City, it's this like very lit, it's a sandbox and like Metroid is using this old technique to evoke a feeling that it doesn't care about, which I think is the problem with this game. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah, it's like, it's not gating you for like cool new areas like I think what the old Metroid games would do is that there would be like sort of focused areas that you would be in and really get to know. And there'd be like little other parts of them that were locked off. And then you'd like get a new weapon. You could like go to the new area or something 
where you might like get the cool thing that lets you go back to then discover other parts of the area. But like, yeah, Dredge just like doesn't do that. It's your, the game is like, like I really can't emphasize like how linear this game is. I know like some of the stuff that's come out with the game makes it like, there is some like very bullshit stuff where the game just do a good job of signaling like what's next. But like, that should not be your, <laughs> the game shouldn't like prompt a reason for exploration off the fact that like it's doing a bad job of telling you what's next, especially when it like the whole game sets up the structure where you're like, you sort of start just eventually you just sort of let go of like your Metroid intuitions and you say, okay, well you're just going to be guiding me. And then when it doesn't do that, it feels so jarring. It just sort of puts a wall in front of you and you're like, what, what am I, what am I supposed to do? Like, there were, there were like three specific instances in the game where I had to like go look at a guide and I was like, oh, like I, okay. It's like you sure. didn't shoot the correct block on the wall. Or like the thing that got me was like the, when you first get the spin jump, it, it like, it, the, like the text goes out of its way to be like the spin jump doesn't work in water. Nothing happens when you spin jump in water. Don't try it. You fucking idiot. And then like the next room you have to spin jump in the water and like you don't gain altitude, but you're able to sustain horizontal momentum. And I was like, what the fuck? Like it took me like, I tried, was like in that room for like 10 minutes being like, I don't know. Like I'm stuck. The game's broken. What's hilarious to me like, about what this. Fuck? What's hilarious <laughs> to me about this is that I got that puzzle on like the first or second try. Or I mean, the moment I, it kind of clicked for me, I was like, maybe I'll just try like, using the jump to like maintain my maintain my height it it's yeah, very yeah. like it's very like word problemy where it's like you cannot gain height with this jump and it's like <laughs> the solution is well can it maintain height and the answer is that yes it can but you would have to test that but it's so stupid because you're never doing any puzzles like that throughout the rest of the game yeah it's like and it just it, it like pops up randomly and you're like you're like you told me for the past 10 hours or whatever that I'm not supposed to be thinking. And now you're going to be like, Hey, solve a puzzle. And you're like, fuck you. No. Solve a puzzle. Like using this direction that like we're, we are intentionally using as a red herring to try to like, make you not try this answer, which is like, I don't, I don't say that I figured it out on the first or second try to flex. I say it because like the moment that I finished that, I was like, that's bullshit. Like that is a bullshit <laughs> puzzle. Like it's not cool. It's not interesting. It's not fun. Like I, if I had gotten stuck on this, I would have been pissed because it's like the tutorial text sometimes feels like it goes out of your, it's way to like be vague. Like with the shine spark shit, I didn't, I did not want yeah. shine spark in the entire game. Cause I didn't know how it worked because the, and I went back and I was like, what the fuck is a shine spark? Like, am I supposed to have unlocked this by now? And I just, I realized that like, no, it's just like, it's something that is like not really explained well in the tutorial text. And there's a lot of really annoying decisions like that, that really bug me in this game. Like the, the example I'll use, which is funny because like, I feel like it, it's, it's everything wrong with Metroid Dread on like a microcosm scale is that there's, David Jaffe has this like famous, I should say infamous review of the game where he's talking about like things that frustrate him about it. And he's in this room where he's like, I like it's this room where you shoot the ceiling and the tiles of the ceiling blow up. And that's how you need to go forward. And he's like, I hate, this is not, 
a good like creative puzzle design and i was like the popular video is a critique of his critique it's like some gamer being like david jaffe sucks like this is actually a really <laughs> elegant game design decision and it's it's a really funny video because he's like how am I supposed to know that the problem, the answer is in this room? Like there are so many other places that I could be going. And he goes yeah. into the, the other room and he's like, see, like I could go out this door and he tries going out the door and it closes. And like, there's no, you can't go out that door. He's like, well, I could go out this door closes right in front of me. I could go out this door and every door that he tries, it's blocked <laughs> off. So he can only go into that one room, but there's, and this is like the gotcha moment of the video of like, see, David Jaffe is such an idiot. Like he doesn't know, he doesn't understand how elegant the solution is. A few things that I find wrong with this. First of all, okay. <laughs> First <laughs> tear of all. down of the teardown of David Jaffe by Joshua Calixto. Just because those doors could not be surpassed does not mean that there is a small possibility space for what the solution of this puzzle was because also guess which game will often like do stuff where you can bomb on top of doors to go around the door. It rhymes with Petroid. So like, fuck you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's the thing is like it could, the solution of the put to the puzzle was to shoot a wall that had no indication that it was supposed to be shot there. There is like an open area above it, which is like when you look at it, like in retrospect, it looks pretty obvious that like you have to try something with that wall, but there's no, like a lot of other games would have put like a cracked wall indicator. And they do, they, this is the stupid and part they do about in this other that they do in other rooms. And it's like, yes, this, the shitty part about dread that this is like very indicative of is that they will like draw boundaries around like what's supposed to happen. And then they will like sort of go outside of that in a way that they think is clever. And it's like, no, like you're breaking your own rules and it's not fun. It's annoying. Like, and like that they is a subvert great example. Their own principles, like they subvert their own design decisions which is supposed to be like a compelling thing, but it's it's really not, dude. It's like one of the main things that you do in like designing for user interfaces and shit is to like make everything consistent so that your users don't get frustrated and annoyed and lost. But that's the purpose here, which is like it, it, I, it kept making me want to call it like a dark pattern. Like Metroid is a game full of yeah. dark patterns because <laughs> it low key kind of is like, it's doing, it's fucking with you, not in a way that's interesting, but in a way that is just like very designy and like not very interesting. But okay, so wh where was I with the whole David Jaffe thing? Okay, the other thing is like, they like it does indicate in a way that you could do something above this wall, but not like in a satisfactory way. But also, just because like there's only seven other rooms to test out doesn't mean that it's fun to do that. Like, yeah. Sure, you can't go out the 8th, ninth, 10th, 11th doors into like an infinite amount of other rooms, but you still, if you think about it, you would still need to shoot every part of every wall in yep. all of those eight or nine rooms available to you to figure this out because that's what the, if you think about it, that's what this puzzle is. Shoot random shit and get lucky or, you know, X, Y, Z. And there are multiple puzzles like that where it's like, there's no indicator. It's it's a critical path wall that you need to shoot through to get to the next part. But 
you need to just figure it out on your own and it breaks the rules that they had set up for you. And in the case of the spin jump thing that you were saying, Kyle, it's like they that feels very dark, dark patterny too, where it's like you can't gain height with this, by the way. But the solution is, but you can you can kind of get height. it. You can stay it's also at like current height. They'll like they'll introduce like stuff like that. And it's like, okay, maybe you're trying to teach me something like, okay, I I'm learning this because I'm gonna have to do this a lot. No, it's just like, they, I, there's one other time in the game when it happens. And other than that, it's like, you just, there's no, no, there's no. Yeah. What I do want to say is that, uh, the like moment to moment Metroid shooting feels really good. Yes. Like the actual, like playing the game feels really good. Um, like 99% of the time, which is what has made me like go to the final boss. And anybody who listens to bad end knows that like, I don't like often play games to completion. I literally, we said that on the last podcast, a lot of us just play like 10 minutes of a game. I'm like about to beat dread. So I'm like, I like fuck with like how the game feels, but it's like, it's definitely surrounded in this like halo of sort of shit. We're not, and not even that it's like bad and it makes it hard to enjoy the game, but just specifically along the lines of it's this, it's basically like a 2d action game. That's sort of in Metroid skin, which as like a longtime Metroid fan, I'm okay with, but it's just all this other sort of stuff is like, man, this game could have like, you could have just removed this layer of like power gating bullshit and like, just like, let me have a good time the whole time instead of trying to like funnel me down this path. Oh man, I just thought of my other, my biggest issue with this game, but I'll, 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 I'll abstain. We but got the game lot, feels great. We got a lot of game. We played a lot of games. Um, so we'll, we'll wanna, get there. I want to say, can I say my one, my other thing? Sure. Yeah, I, go just ahead. Wanna, I do want to say my thing. <laughs> so the other annoying thing about dread, and I don't remember if this was actually a thing with Metroid normally. There's a lot of annoying things. Like I will say a lot of annoying things. So one of the, one of the really annoying things, especially coming off, like I've still, I've been like slowly beating bloodborne just in in the background for a long time. Like, and, and, and in souls games in general, like when you get stronger, you are getting stronger. You get like new weapons or whatever, or like new armor or like you're skilling up. You can like, and you're doing a lot of fucking backtracking. And so when you're going to, areas that you've been to before they act as like barometers of being like, Oh, like you are now, uh, like, Oh, I can kill this thing now way quicker. Whereas before it was like, Oh, it was like so hard to do this. It's so cool to come back here and like kill it in like two hits or like know how to properly parry this thing and just like dunk on it. That feels really cool. Metroid, like especially in dread is really fucking annoying because every single increase in power that you get is met with an increase in power by the enemies almost unilaterally. So like the comparative difficulty of the enemies scales with your comparative power. So you're always fighting stuff that is like just about as hard. And I think they do that in part because like you do have to backtrack through these areas, but only sometimes. So it's never really like, you don't ever really have to go back and like fight old stuff before their power goes up. And I don't want to like spoil it, but there's like at least three or four sort of big moments where there's a big power scaling and normal enemies. And it's just like, fuck. Oh man. And then, okay. <laughs> For every door other, that opens, a door closes in this game. Yeah. So you're like never a, like, 
and then, and then they introduce sort of like slightly newer, like ways that enemies can be interacted with that also just sort of undercuts this idea of skill. So like not only do these like doors and powers not matter from a progression standpoint, like actually I would also recommend uh, if you're interested in this thing, like watch Mark Brown's boss key series on Zelda games. There, I think it was like, I want to say it was a, maybe one of the Oracle games, but basically like there's, there's only effectively like he talks about sort of like gating and like level de- level design from like a sort of progression block standpoint. And like basically every door in Metroid, you, if you think of the game as some like big knot, if you actually like untangled the knot, it would just be like a single piece of string that is like a continuous path from start to finish. Like that's sort of what dread is, but it puts these like arbitrary blocks between you. So you're never actually making any choices, which is like fucking stupid. But like the, like the other thing where it's like, okay, well if I'm getting stuff that doesn't matter from a door perspective, maybe it's at least making me stronger. And it's like, no, you're not actually getting like stronger, which is like so fucking annoying where you're like, I want to feel cool and strong. If we're like playing this game, that's about like getting power. And instead it's like, no, sorry, fuck you you know, you can't, they're not, you're not actually stronger because all the enemies have like armor now. So that's stupid too. It's, it's a part of the game's linearity. Like it's part of the action game thing, you know? (sighs) Yeah. Yeah. But I'm about to beat it. So yeah, pretty fun game. (laughs) (laughs) That's the thing though, dude. It's like fun game does not necessarily mean like, innovative game or like great game or you know any number of things like in fact fun is i i it's it's this weird it occupies this weird position in video games where it's like it's not easy to make a fun game not every game is going to be the same level of fun and when it's fun like for the most part that's like a good thing but being a fun game does not mean that it does not mean anything beyond it being fun you know? Yeah. And I think like you need to be able to take the conversation further with that without like being super reductivist about it or failing to acknowledge that fun is important to an extent, you know, man, can we, can you back up the video a little bit? Sorry. I'm, Josh is running a video for those on the podcast of Metroid, just like 15 seconds. What, what just, what happens in this moment right here where this person's trying to shoot this door is so indicative of dread. So there's a door in Metroid dread where, um, it's got uh, three little yellow dots oh, on yeah, it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, when you shoot them, they light up. And so you have a blaster that shoots yellow bullets. And so you go to it and you try to shoot it. And it's like doesn't open or doesn't basically interact. And the game gives you zero feedback on if that is the intended action or not. And I think like there's like multiple things like that in Dread that are like so annoying where I would just like try stuff for like 15 minutes to be like, what am I missing something? Like, is this a power? Like, what am I supposed to be doing here? And it's like, Oh, I guess I just have to like leave this room because I'm not sure if I have to go here. And then like eventually basically every, everything you see has got its own specific power. And it's just like, yeah, God, we also didn't even talk about the Emmys, which like, I feel like is indicative of the whole Emmy thing in the game. Emmys are basically like the alien isolation alien like they're but they're they only reside in certain areas like designated areas of the map um and really it's just like it's like a cat and mouse sequence where you just you basically are just running through it and hoping that the Emmy is not in your way that's like 
what it boils down to. Um, it's fun at first, but they do not have the means to scale it up in a way that's really interesting because like we were talking about, like the, the power thing is kind of like the perfect thing that we're talking about, right? Where it's like, you start getting all these powers that should let you deal with the Emmys better, but the Emmy things like actually get less interesting the further you go because they start finding just new ways to slow your movement so that you Mm -hmm. can't get away from the Emmys as easily. Like you're getting all these traversal options and instead of giving you like these really interesting arenas to play with, they, they put you in like a room filled with water that like, that's how you have to escape from the Emmy is like, just hope that you like time it right to get past the Emmy, which is like the same challenge as the first one that you encountered, even though you're like five times as powerful. So that's my kind of my thoughts on the Emmys. I will say like, they are very tense. So that tension aspect works, which is cool. Um, But again, pretty good at countering them. I feel like I could counter them like 50% of the time. What? That's yeah. like impossible to me. Like no, I did like, it like three like, times. Like a, I got like, I got to the point where I was just like, I don't know. There's like a, it's, you just have to be quick on the draw. And there's like, there's usually a little window. One thing I did notice though, that's annoying about them is that if you parry them the first time, um, the second time they do it, they like change the timing. So it's very hard to parry them twice in a row. My understanding but, was that it changes every time. Yeah. Yeah. There's like, there's like a normal window that it will like go inside of, which is why I got like, okay at doing it. Hmm. But then if you typically the second one breaks that window, That's wild, so like dude. it'll like skip the animation and just like go straight. To, I'm like, okay, okay. 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 That's we more, got, more Metroid dread bullshit. We got to yeah. move on. We have so many games to talk about. Oh my God. We got, we, we got games. so much video games, man. We got, we um, have like a fucking four month backlog of gaming talking. Yeah. Okay, we got Final Fantasy XIV, Inscription, Age of Empires, Darkest Dungeon, Back for Blood. What do you want to do? Um, let's talk about Inscription. Inscription. Well, let's, it let's is. close on it. Let's close on Inscription. I don't want to. That'd be a good one to go out on. Okay. Let me hear about Back for Blood. I haven't played this at all, but I know it's like the new game by the Evolve people, right? Turtle Rock or whatever. I guess I don't really know much about the development, but. I mean, I know it's like a Left 4 Dead 3. Yeah, yeah, it's the it's the Evolve people. Man, like, it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> I also have heard nothing about this game as well, besides when it came out. And, like, there was, like, the beta period that everyone was playing. Yeah, it's kind of weird, man. Like, it feels like Left 4 Dead with, like, systems on top of it that have come out since then. <laughs> that are just like meant to add replayability, uh-huh. but it's fucking crafting. There's like experience. There's cards. There's cards. Okay. okay. And uh, which are basically like run modifiers that you add to okay. your quote deck. Uh huh. And then you run. Left 4 with Dead it. really needed these systems. It was really hurting for. <laughs> yeah, no, a it really did not. It just is just meant to add like a grind in there because like they basically looked at Left 4 Dead and were like, "What does this game need?" Like, well, there's not really much reason to play it like over and over again, except to like maybe the AI director will like give you some new interesting zombie patterns. But this game, yeah, it really is. Jesus, this is fucking. Sorry, this is gruesome. 
get to the, the actual gameplay here. <laughs> but um, <laughs> the shooting feels really good. I'll say that. Like, if it's a fun like shooting game when you're doing that. I feel like I'm just like thinking about this in my um my general thesis that culture has stopped. Um, <laughs> I think there's like a there's like a really compelling argument to make that like. I have no idea what the demographics of this game are, but it's like totally possible that people who are playing this have never played left for dead or played, um, uh, evolve. I never played hunt, evolve. hunt is still pretty big, I think. Um, and I think that like, you have like a lot of people who have like new gaming PCs they bought in hopes for cyberpunk looking for like something to play with their friends on stream. And like left for dead was a little too early to the party for that one. So, I think a lot of people are having this sort of four player co-op zombie experience for the first time. And I think that can be like, it's just sort of crazy to think about that. Cause like left for dead is still out there and like doing fine. And it's like available on steam and you could just play it. This definitely looks way better. Yeah. Like, I mean, I don't know. It's not, uh, it's a zombie not like game in 2021, man. Like what the fuck? It's who's, not who's like, like doing games for zombies. Who's asking for zombies in 2021? I thought we were past this. The deck card stuff is is pretty interesting. <laughs> like I, I won't say that it's great. I won't say that it's terrible. Um, it seems like just like a something grab, like cash grab, I would say, but I don't I don't even know if you could buy the cards. Um, it's definitely like a time sink element, but it's it's an it's innovative, I will say. Like Oh, you can shoot the gas can and it will explode. Who knew? It's very, it's like meta about this shit in a way that like they just kind of don't care. Where it's like you're li you're collecting these cards that like give your character specific buffs, but you can only choose like certain ones every level. So like you start out with like two cards where it's like three percent health, three percent crit chance, three percent this, blah blah blah, and then like every level you choose a card. Is there like a wise cracking like white guy? Um, yeah, yeah. There's white, there's wise crack in every color. Uh, but okay. a majority white guys for sure. Gotcha. Um, cool. That's that uh, I'm looking for. That's what I'm looking for. The, do they have barks like door here? They say stuff like that. Pills. Yeah, a lot of the, Pills here. I will say, dude, the fucking, the banter in this game is just shit tier. <laughs> it's fucking miserable tier. Like truly. <laughs> The people who had to read this shit, I feel bad for oh, them. Oh, a zombie! No, it's dude. The it's so corny, like it, and it feels like they've like put in awkward silence after these things. Because if anyone said this shit in real life, everyone around them would just be like, <laughs> "What the fuck is this guy? Like, who is who right, I'm, I'm gonna him? I'm gonna rattle off some some zombie names that I better in this game. You ready for this? Yeah. Is there a zombie called the Grabber? <laughs> no. What about um, big one? No, but there's like, I think it's like long boy or tall boy. There, I think they're called yep, like tall was, boys or close. some shit. I was close. All right, yeah. we got one more. Let me do um, uh, spitter. I mean, that was a left for dead one, but it feels like. I think there's like spitter and jumper. bloater or whatever. Hunter, jumper. shit like that. I think, I, I don't even remember all the names of the zombies. I was like, I would just say like grabby guy here, grabber. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't, not very good at oh, man, cost, I was dude. right listen here we go the hawker which is basically the spitter hawker hawker 
Bruiser, Wretch, which is like Jesus. the big one. Snitch, Ogre, another big one. I mean, so I was, I basically got all of them. Good job. Ogre is Culture like a died, man. Culture is dead, Why? dude. Culture is dead. We already did. We did this game already. We already did this game. Okay, but we have some games on this that are not culture is dead examples that are mm-hmm. culture is not dead. Wait, examples. I have another culture is dead example. Sure. Age of empires four came out on Tuesday. <laughs> it's basically age of empires two, but with better graphics. So that's weird. <laughs> I don't know why. I don't know why. Like, what are we doing? <laughs> that's, that was my, that was my experience playing age of empires two. I was like, what are we doing? Like, especially in a world right now where age of empires two is now being actively updated. Um, like, and is like back on like the esports scene. Like people play age of empires two probably more competitively now than they did in like, does it really look like 2003? This? Yeah. This looks like a runescape dude. I mean, the graphics aren't, it looks a little bit. This looks like the settings are a little low. It looks a little better yeah, than what's this, going but it does here. look basically like this. I mean, how's you, how age, how's age of empires work? I mean, I know how Age of Empires works. Yeah. Oh, this looks... So, okay, I think the settings were like ultra low on that one that we were just looking at, but... It's just like, I don't know. Like, I'm... I'm As someone who's making a fucking strategy game, you know, it's in my interest to play strategy games, and I play shit like this, and I'm like... What? This is just... It's, it's like there are some other different mechanics, and I'm sure all of like the esports heads who are like big Age of Empires 2 boosters will like know what's different, but I'm like, if you're going to make a whole new age of empires game and you already have an active community for age of empires two, I don't understand the thought behind like, let's just make age of empires two, two. Um, it looks like a remake or a remaster. It's kind of wild. But the thing that's weird about it is that they also like, I mean, on my unpopular opinion is that I thought age of empires three was like cool. Like it was in the imperial age. Um, or like, I don't know, it's like Imperial Empire age. Uh, they had, they actually had a card system that people hated, but I thought was kind of interesting. Uh, and it was like more about building than like just microwing workers around. And yeah, I don't, I don't know. Well, what I will say though, is that the campaign of Age of Empires 4 is pretty cool. And also it's quote unquote free on Game Pass. So uh, you can play it for free, but the campaign is like, it's like historical battles and they, you don't actually play like an age of empires game. Every time you play a campaign map, they sort of stage it. And that's actually pretty cool. You're like playing through like historical battles with like, they've even got like really shitty B roll. So it feels like you're watching a history channel documentary that you get to like scope into and then play sometimes. And that part is cool. I do. I think that is cool. And I will probably play more of that campaign, but like, I was playing the multiplayer and I was like, this just just the same, it's the same thing. We we already did this. This like this shit is what killed RTSs was like this focus on like micro and like alienating player bases. And yet here we are, once again, doing the same thing. Maybe so. this is for the people who don't like that, Kyle. But they have Age of Empires 2, and they're actively playing Age of Empires 2. Yeah, that's true. That's a good point. So also like age of empire just does not seem like an interesting game to micro in. It's like fucking peasants and shit. Like Starcraft at least has like, 
oh, you got mercenaries and fucking Protoss, but Protoss. Well, you got yeah. these little like people in fucking old ass. You tell me you don't want to micro archers slops. across bridges because that's what you do. <laughs> I must I think gather it, I think more berries. Cool, like, I require more berries. Our city like, needs more wood. I think it would have been cool if the like it's it's so My like life annoying for the like village. The whole, Sorry. <laughs> all of the, all of the units are individual, so you can like if you were like you know the most elite player of all time, you could literally micro every unit. But like that's just like I feel like again we've moved beyond this. I think something like Company of Heroes did a really cool thing where you build units. So like there's a unit that has like six people and it will always stick with its unit and the unit's health will go down. So you can have large battles. You can have like 36 people, but only be controlling six people, six oh, people yeah. technically. Yeah. And it's like, you don't need like the individual, like no one is actually microwing every archer. People still, even like I was watching day nine play yesterday, you still like select everybody and then attack move and then maybe like split your army up into a few groups. But like, you're not actually microwing every unit. It does not matter. You're like the misclicks are built into the design and they're like, well, fuck you because uh, <laughs> no. Um, it, 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 it literally, it, it feels like they made Age of Empires. They feel like they're like, we want to make Age of Empires 3 10, 15 years ago, I mean, but we want to be more like Age of Empires 2. Like that's what this feels yeah. like. It does not feel like a game that came out in 2021. It feels like a sequel to a game that came out 20 years ago that they wanted to be this thing. And it's like, I gotta say there's something about like this genre though, that like it feels magical, man. Like there's something about this genre that like really feel like it fits like the whole historical theme for some reason. Like it's immersive with that shit in a way that just like, I think of chivalry that one, Mm -hmm like SJW hater game that came out a while back and it's like oh, a first person kingdom Morrowind. Come. Yeah. Kingdom come deliverance. What, what did I call mm-hmm. it? Uh, you said chivalry, which is also a knight's fighting game, but oh, God, yeah. So my bad. Those, the art for those looks like basically identical. The same. Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking of uh, kingdom come deliverance. Glad you caught that too. But it's like, I don't like first person is it's so it takes you out of it, you know, because it's like I mean, this is like this is my thing with these games, though, is that like I wish like I would want to play an Age of Empires game that was like actually about the conceit. Like if there was actually a game where I was like real time strategy playing through like an empire over the ages, that would be really cool. But like the game is not about that. The game is like about building stuff as fast as possible to age to different ages, to get new units to like, it's, it's like, it's about the combat loop. It's not about like building an empire through ages or whatever. Bro, um, bro. I just, Annapurna, bro. if you're listening, <laughs> I just came up with a great pitch for a game. Pick it up, buy it off me. I'll, we cut a deal. You, you got my email, but it's Is it age of empires five. No, it's like, it's like an A24, The Witch, Age of Empires. Man, that would totally happen in like 1997. Like there were so many, like Star Wars Episode One had a 
basically a reskin of Age of Empires called Empire at War. <laughs> okay, but not. And lo- they were like, I'm not literally talking about a remake of The Witch in Age of Empires engine. I'm talking about like the mood grafted onto like with this kind of mechanics where you're like, that's what I'm saying. That's what they did, fucking- man. All right, fine. Just like make it like a witch game. Annapurna, you you know it's a good idea. Just get it, get at me, bro. Get at me, Mister Perna. A two four digital. Mister and Mrs. Perna, I have a. <laughs> <laughs> I have a. Excuse me, I have a pitch. It's like the witch, but Age of Empires. Do you think there'll be a witch too? No. You sure? No. I don't think sure. there'll be one though. <laughs> um, I mean, Anya Taylor Joy is like big now. That's she's like, that's, huge. I, that's IP ready. Remember to be we mine. went to go see that? Well, we, I feel like we've talked about this like five times <laughs> on this podcast. But remember when we went to go see the witch? And then there was a Q and A. Anya Taylor Joy was there afterwards. Holy shit! I do. That was wild. Yeah, that's just the. I knew she was going to be big. I knew she was going to be big. Now she's an Ed- Edgar Wright movie. That's true. You don't think I she, she Well, no, I feel like she had like a, everyone was like, she's going to be big. And then she like, didn't be, she like, wasn't big. And she did some like sort of B movie esque like horror stuff. Like there was an article like two years ago that was like, Anya Taylor joy is the new queen of horror. And that didn't really happen. And then I feel like she really broke out with the queen's gambit or like, yeah. I don't know the like audiences like got wise to her. Yeah. So. She's great. She's great. Yeah. She's got a great accent. Um, yeah, that's Age of Empires <laughs> four. Josh, what did you play, man? Tell me what. Tell me what you've been playing. I really, I want to talk about Final Fantasy fourteen again. <laughs> I should have brought my other MMO correspondent onto this podcast. Who's that? Could have dished. I don't. I would have found one. Uh. Well, because I just I mean, finished the latest expansion, which actually came out in 2019. So it's relatively new with new content ongoing up until the release of Endwalker, which is t- a news hook this month. Okay. Oh, but okay. Bro, I finished fucking Shadowbringers last night and this game is fucking amazing. Like I liked Final Fantasy 14 as an MMO before, but I love Final Fantasy 14 as a game now. <laughs> I'm like, I'm not even kidding. This is like, if I had played this in 2019, it may very well have been my goatee. That's kind of wild to say, man. Better check those words. Like it is not. Well, actually, I think Disco Elysium came out in 2019, so maybe not. But it would have been like a close second in that, like, the shit that this game does, I thought was impossible. Like, it it makes a... It would have been one of the best Final Fantasy games if it was a single-player game, but it translates that into an MMO experience and uses the MMO-ness of it to heighten the weight and impact of that experience. When you have these games that like the world is at stake, nobody ever gives a fuck because the world is just like, it's a video game, dude. I literally just learned about this world existence 10 hours ago, you know, (laughs) but you've been playing this shit for like what? 
you know, hundreds of hours and all the way behind it, like it just gets so heavy and so like it uses that weight in a way that I've never seen before. And they fuck, they subvert it. They subvert their entire MMO at the very end. Like this isn't really a spoiler. Yeah, give me, just give me some details. Do you like get okay. a go kart? Like what? no, I I want to spoil this, but like it's like a lot of spoil. It's a big spoiler. Like it's not just like oh, if you played the game for twenty minutes, like it's spoil. This is like a huge. I, I will go into some detail here. Okay, so if you are going to play Final Fantasy fourteen Shadowbringers, which I really think that you should, maybe skip the next few minutes. I'll I'll timestamp it. Um, but yeah, if you, yeah, just skip forward a little bit, but they, oh God, man, you know, how, like they changed the entire architecture of MMO, like the MMO map design at the end of the game, like in a way that is fucking bonkers. And when I say the end, I mean like the last four hours of this expansion, which is like they literally do things with the map that they've never done before. They do things with the structure of side quests that they've never done before. They do things with like the story that they've never done before. They do things with a fucking dungeon that they've never done before. And it's like e clearly easily far and away the best dungeon that's ever been done in an MMO <laughs> before. Like just zero fucking doubt about it which is Wait, so what do they do with the map like what's the okay is like the structure of the game changing yes so this is where we get really spoilery but like usually the map it's like a very open world right yeah when you get to this zone it's like it turns from that into like a very linear closed off almost highway like or mainline experience where it feels like you're playing like a normal final fantasy game, but scaled up almost where it's like, it's just you in the story. And it's weird because like you're continuing to pick up side quests and it's like, you're, but you're also like all of the art direction has changed. Like you've never seen buildings like this in this game before. It's like, think of like the painted world oblivion type mm -hmm. shit, but in the context of an MMORPG, like it totally subverts that it sub subverts like what you're seeing. The side quests turn from like these very like simple things that you're doing just to like, you know, get the flying ability to fly in this area into like actual main story shit. And the final dungeon, like it's framed through. Okay. This is also extreme spoiler, but not like regarding the plot itself, but it's framed as you going through an apocalypse of this, the world of the game's villain. And he's like explaining his POV to you of like these horrors that he lived through. And he's like showing you through this like museum display of horrors. That was like the apocalypse of his world. Hmm. And, um, it's, you're it's a dungeon so you're playing with fucking randos you have to queue up for the dungeon i don't know if you've played a dungeon in an mmo before but you have to queue <laughs> up for this dungeon and you go in with random players and as you're playing through it there's vo of this character saying like the it's like super metal it's like the walls were crashing down like he's saying all these he's describing what's happening 
as you are experiencing it. And it feels like you're in a fucking Disneyland ride that's con- or like just some sort of like interactive piece of art that you're experiencing it's like it feels like simultaneously a museum display an exposition dump but it's not really an exposition because it's mostly like mood and shit just like setting this up characters backstory character development um interactive cinematic but the whole time you are doing final fantasy 14 combat mechanics and it's like it's utterly mind boggling this shit. Like I was playing through this and like in utter awe, man, like the way that you guide, he guides you into this experience. It's like, if they do this type of shit in the future, MMOs will like essentially solidify their value. Like this is what I thought that MMOs could be, but I never imagined a way for them to get there. And this game just showed it to me. And it's like, it's absolutely wild. I, and there was like a lot of people raving about this expansion when it came out. Um, so I'm not the first one to say this type of shit, but I do think that the significance of what that they, what they've done with this game is, is like bigger than I was ever expecting. I, I was not expecting this of this expansion. Like some of the art direction in these dungeons is fucking like incredible and like it feels like a bayonetta type or like um dark souls shit where it's just or bloodborne where it's just the monsters and the place that you're going through are just so beyond human imagination uh conceptually that like it's it's just crazy to see and just the fact that you're seeing it mmo in an mmo makes it hit that much harder so i don't know man this shit is it's incredible. I, I have not felt that level of just like passion and just just hype, honestly, for something that I've seen in a game in a very long time. Like it's got to be one of the best Square Enix games I've ever played. Like it's it's a fucking masterpiece, man. It's I love it. Did you cry? No, but I almost did. Like <laughs> I almost did. Like it's actually good. I don't know, man. If I, I feel like talking about MMOs is really hard because it has like the anime problem or like, I guess Final Fantasy 14 has like the anime and the MMO problem. <laughs> yeah. But like you have like, like people who are really like into anime are really bad often about telling people about good anime. And I think that like, like MMOs feel like something very similar where like the things that happen in them are like individual, like I'm looking at, I'm looking at screenshots of, I mean, I just typed in Final Fantasy 14 Shadowbringers ending and like, it just looks like a fucking MMO. Like there's no, like there's nothing for me as like an outsider that like sells that moment. And I think that's the same for really the end of like any game. But I think what makes a lot of these like MMO things special is that like long arc that you're talking about or like, I mean, sort of like life, right? Like if a big event happens in your life, like maybe some part of that event itself is like intrinsically meaningful to other people, but it can have so much more of like a resonant meaning for you as a person who lived the life for the past, like, you know, 15 years that like led to this moment that was like so big. And I think that MMOs have sort of a similar thing where like, they're only like, as long as the stories continue to be good, people will still have these like really great experiences with these MMOs, but there's like no, 
it's like so hard to convey that to like anyone on the outside. It's like, it's like telling someone like, yo, like the 15th book of the wheel of time is like super dope. And you're like, okay, cool. There's like 14 more books first a, and then also like, it's, you know, it's, it's like, it's like, to, it's like, we don't have language to like understand and talk about MMOs, especially ones like final fantasy 14 that are like sort of ongoing for like a very long, I mean, wow is obviously the closest thing or like Lord of the Rings online, but to do this sort of author narrative story on top of an MMO that is like, you know, basically a fucking like giant novel, like over time more and as like more and more stuff gets added to it. So I think it's really hard to like, if you don't know, you're like, I guess that sounds, that sounds really cool, Josh. But I just, I think you that know, that's what's I, like hard. So first of all, like I partially agree with you, which mm -hmm. is that this problem does exist, but I, I don't think that the issue is that like something that's inherently wrong with these forms. I think it's that people are bad. There's not enough people who are good at talking about this stuff and relating. Oh like, yeah. Yeah. Why no, I don't it's think important. it's MMO's problem, but it's like definitely not MMO's so, problem. It's that like, I yeah. want to say that like, yes, context is important. And like having played this game for two hours or 200 hours or however many hundreds of hours I played is significant in how it impacts my perception of this. Like the stakes are much higher than if like I had only played for an hour and a half before this, right? Like it's, it, it stands to reason that that would be the case. But I will say that like, there's a lot of things that are context agnostic that I think are still really good. I think that if you were to watch a run through of like the last, you know, few five or six hours of the game, like it would still be really compelling. I think the art direction and the way that those fights unfold is still like just really well done and just good at a base level. And I think that the way that the reason why context is important in this situation to me is because the way that they leverage the world building and the presence of an outside world into this moment and these like final encounters is just, it's unparalleled. I've never seen anything like it before. And that's why I think that it really, really works. But another thing about Final Fantasy 14 that I think is just like really interesting and that I, that I'm like just so impressed by is something having to do with the medium itself, which is that like, they don't see, and this isn't entirely unique, but they do not see the MMO as just like a platform to have people play your game for thousands and thousands of hours straight. Like that's not all that they're trying to accomplish, right? Like they see it as this like living platform for like what are essentially like I mean, any, any number of things, right? You could be cook, you can be a fucking dancer, you can engage in role playing, you can do PVP, whatever. But they also set up this, like, it's just a game filled with systems that they can like do whatever the fuck that they want with to just let you do anything in the context of this world, which I think is just like really cool. It's just like an open sandbox of not just like places to go and things to see, but like experiences to have at a deep core level and they pull that off really well. Like, I think that like there's so many cinematics in this game that are like half an hour long, like Shadowbringers <laughs> is mostly like it's, it might as well be a TV series because you're mostly like watching cut scenes 
Like it's almost like a mm-hmm. Metal Gear type thing. But what they've done is that they've created a system that essentially allows them to do like stage plays or it's, it feels mm-hmm. like it feels very much like this, like saga or like puppeteering almost where it's like this long extended story that you like, you want to follow and keep up with that takes place on this like grand stage upon which they can like manipulate these essentially puppets. It's not the same mm-hmm. as like if you're watching people doing these things, but the way that they contextualize it within the systems and the world that they've created, it, it, I mean, I would love to talk with Gareth about this as like a puppet. Gareth is like a puppeteer, like studied puppetry. Um, and this game really feels like that, like Japanese, like Bunraku experience. I think back to it a lot in the way that there's like drama. It's not like a soap opera, but it is heightened in, in a similar way to like a soap opera would be. So like, I, I would really compare it to like something like puppetry where it feels to me like art in that sense. Like it's striving for that through its systems and what it can convey with these like limited kind of objects that it has. And like these things that they're like posing and manipulating in real time. I, that was like one of my takes on this game. One of many, I have so much to say about it, but it's just really fucking good. And, um, I just think, I think one thing that's like cool about it is that like, I think about this with, um, uh, like I'm, I'm sort of, I think the, like the serial format works really well for sci-fi because I think often sci-fi is like not necessarily about like the plot so much as it's about like the world. Mm-hmm. Or at least like, I don't know, the modern strand of sci-fi. So like just living in that world for like a season of television is more compelling to me than like watching a movie. Like Dune is obviously on the mind. I don't know if you could really, I mean, you could serialize Dune, right? There's like fucking eight books, but I think <laughs> like something like Final Fantasy 14 is really leaning into this idea of like, I mean, obviously big Final Fantasy games sell probably a lot of copies, but they're like, oh, like what Final Fantasy is, is like, these sort of dramatic stories or these long arcs with sort of like ridiculous characters. And they're like, we can deliver that on a schedule to people who are engaged with their friends through like final fantasy 14, instead of like delivering like a standalone, you know, final fantasy 15 or 16, I guess has been announced. I don't remember. Um, I think that that's, that's sort of like the most compelling thing about 14 is that like, I think it represents a shift in mindset about what it means to like give people final fantasy it's like, oh, the best Final Fantasy game is like Final Fantasy 14 Shadowbringers. It's like not playing, you know, some specific numbered title. And that, that's sort of what I get to like thinking about. Not only like critics or like people who play MMOs this deep being able to sort of effectively talk about MMOs, but that we don't like as like a game, as like a, as like a people who talk about games, right? Like we don't know how to like contextualize um, what's happening in Final Fantasy 14. Like th- this actually came up recently with, um, I was listening to a podcast and they were talking about Stellaris, uh, which is Paradox's um, sci-fi 4X game. And Stellaris is like a game. It has like a skew, like an SKU. Um, and it also has like fucking 30 expansions now. So when you want to talk about Stellaris, what does it mean to talk about Stellaris? are you talking about like, you know, 1.0 because that's a very different game than the one that's got all 15 expansions or like, because the expansions are sort of opt in, like the best version of Stellaris might be like Stellaris with like 
expansions one through 10. And then like these two other expansions with this one feature turned off and like just the structure of game reviews don't allow us to talk about games like that. And I feel like MMOs sort of have this problem, this exact same problem where it's like, maybe, I guess like maybe you, you can sort of review shadow bringers, but you know, there'll be a giant disclaimer at the top where it's like, you know, this review is only meaningful if you've already played every other like final fantasy 14 game. Like it's not necessarily going to be the thing that like, it's, it's like hard, not, not just like viewing it like objectively, but that like the sort of bulk and the context of the work belies the structure of like set piece, single thing to review. And that's why, yeah. So I think it's just like, it's, it's weird. Like that, how, this thing can both, or like League of Legends, right? Like this is this has been your beat forever. Like no one talks about League of Legends despite it being the biggest game in the world. And like, it's very easy on one hand while also trite to be able to say, oh, well, you know, Kotaku reviewed League of Legends 15 years ago. But like, what does that mean for a game that's been around for, I mean, it's not been around for 15 years, but it's like, can you re-review League of Legends? Like, what does it even mean? Like, does it even matter? How do we talk about League of Legends as like a game um, when, tons of people are playing it, but like there's no real line in the sand to review it because there's no way to really review league of legends. Um, so yeah, you bring up like an interesting point that I actually think is part of almost like the, the crux of what's happening here, which is final fantasy 14 shadow bringers. The, the realization of this dream of like a role playing as a platform role-playing story Mm -hmm. as a platform which is to say that it is in in a way the pinnacle of like role-playing in a game because the definition of role-playing the scope of role-playing is typically so limited right which is that you only can play a role within the context of this world set in front of you by whatever author had whatever this author has decided for you. And Mm -hmm. when people say like, you can make your own decisions and play your own way, like that shit's bullshit. It's always bullshit. Like that's why mass effect doesn't work the way it's intended. Really cool games, really cool stories, really neat, like bits of storytelling, but a lot more linear than they would ever acknowledge themselves, despite the amount of choice that they say that they are giving you. Like final fantasy 14 is truly that like it truly gives you like thousands of ways to play this game and experience it and you can choose any one of them and have a deeply enriching experience but within that world you get to participate it's like this participatory rpg where the story that's happening Mm -hmm. you're at the center of it it always feels like you're at the center center of it they make you somehow care about your character in this massive world and it's like it's the cult like it's weird man because I'll, I'll see this like trailer that i was just playing on the screen and like they have their like generic white dude as the main character right yeah <laughs> but it's wild because like i see that and it's like that's not the main character of this story but it's like when you when i look at mass effect and i see like that main character i don't even fucking remember what my character really looked like when i played mass effect because mm-hmm. it's just like blank slate thing like you never see your character's face but like you've spent so much time developing like a personality of this character within this world that when they slot you into it 
there it, like it it means something and you are actually playing a role when you experience this story and so it's like the ultimate realization of that to me and and it makes a lot more sense in rpgs while also like bringing it together with this like serialized format that games have also strived for for a long time of like the walking ever since like the walking dead slash dlc was this like dream that never came to fruition this is like what that should have been like this is the crux of that it's one game where you're experiencing this saga that takes place over you know, a decade, multiple games, mm. even where they had to fucking end the world in the first game. And like, this is like the culmination of all that stuff. It's an event. It's you're playing a role in it. And there are hundreds of thousands of people involved. It's like the biggest RP MMO out there right now. It, it's, it's, it's just an achievement in video games. I think like more so, I don't want to say more so than wow does because, was because like wow was breaking a lot of ground but i think that mm. this game is like taking us there where we wanted to go where like it should have gone and what it, its potential was that it never really realized <sighs> when you're making me want to try it again i have I so much it. juice dude i have oh so much juice about this game honestly though like <laughs> i'll say like up until Shadowbringers, like it's not super super compelling Besides um, Heaven's Word, the first expansion, yeah, the the first expansion and Shadowbringers, I think, are the best parts. Um, I mean, there's there's story skips that you can buy if you just want to experience the Shadowbringer stuff, but yeah, it's I I it's again, it's like not something I could just like recommend to anyone. Yeah, I got, there's this like popular uh, Final Fantasy thing, 14 thing. It's like you either stop through, you either stop at some point in a, a Realm Reborn or you become or a walking, die to see yourself become the villain or you yeah. become a walking advertisement <laughs> for the game, <laughs> <laughs> which is uh, I've uh, last night. I officially reached that point. Like before that, I liked the game. I thought it was really cool, but it did the shit that I just was not prepared for and actually has been doing since the beginning of Shadowbringers. I think Shadowbringers is specifically what I t I'm talking about when I talk about like this achievement in MMOs. Like I think that it, that's where they, they finally reached that critical point and I'm excited to see what, if they are able to keep that up with the next expansion that launches this month. And I will, I, maybe I'll report back with some of my findings, but it'll be a while cause it'll take me a while to beat that shit. But, um, want to wrap up with some inscription. We haven't played too much of that, but yeah, let's wrap up with some inscription. What is inscription? How, how much? Okay. So inscription is, um, a card game. Wink, wink. Um, it's by the guy who made Pony Island. Uh, so if you know what Pony Island is about, I actually never played Pony Island, but Pony Island and his other game, I forget what they were. Um, they're sort of along this lines of this like haunted game genre that I would call it where it's like a game that's like ostensibly about something and then turns into be something like totally different. Um, and will like often do fun stuff like pull files from your hard drive and like put their names in, um, the game or whatever. Uh, so inscription is the latest game by this person and it's like, it is both nominally and uh, actually um, a card game. Full disclosure, I have played 
maybe two hours total of this game. I know there's like really big twists that I have not bothered to look up yet, but I'm sure they are coming. Um, so I don't know if either of us are in a position to like spoil this game. Josh, you might be sitting on. Yeah. I experienced stuff. one of those moments today. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so it's hard to, it's hard to talk about. And it's like, it's so annoying talking about this game like this because it does exactly the thing that this thing is meant to do, which is that we tell you the listener about inscription, but like we can't talk about it because there's a real big twist where it like changes stuff and you're like, cool, I'm going to go try it. And it's just, it's like, so it's just very annoying to be speaking this and like hearing the trap that's been set for me where you're like, you're like, well, you can like, we can talk about the card game part of inscription. Like, (laughs) I don't know like what, um, what do you have to say, Josh? That's the weird thing about the game, right? Is that like there is a card game in there, but there's a card in, game in some there. ways it's designed to be broken. In yeah. some ways it's designed to not be a perfect game. In many ways it is designed as a framing device for the other shit that is happening in the game. But when you're playing the game, you're mostly just playing cards, which I think is... Yeah, so- yeah. One of my friends described it as like a card game with context. So in something like Hearthstone, Runeterra, Magic, um, any other digital card game, Artifact, you're like playing the game means that you are like launching into a game and then just sort of playing on this abstract board. In um, Inscription, you're literally playing a card game on a on like a table and then you can also like get up from the table. And so you can like get up and like walk around this room and the room's like spooky. Um, and there's like this like mysterious hooded figure. So there's like other shit that's like clearly going on. That's not just the card game. And there's like, it's got this sort of, um, it's almost like a card game that takes place inside of an escape room. I think it's probably the best way to describe it. Uh, at least in terms of where I'm at, I don't know what, big twists await me where that's no longer the case. But for what I've played, there's like, you're playing this card game on a table. um, And then all around the room that you're in are like all these little things that have very like escape roomy elements. There's like a big safe and it's like bouncing and there's like uh, locks you can move or sorry, combinations you can turn. There's a clock where you can like adjust the hands on the clock. And so you just sort of know like, okay, well, eventually I'm going to learn what these things do and like something will be revealed to me and whatever. Um, yeah, I, I do kind of want to talk about the card game itself. I feel like that is worth talking about. Okay. okay. I just want to say that I think that this is like a brilliant concept, which is one of the, and I've said this on this podcast before, but like one of the most amazing moments in a game is when you break the fourth wall and, um, this game just like puts up a shit ton of fourth walls and it's just like, let's fucking break them, dude. Like, you know, like it sets up its own fourth walls by kind of putting medium within medium within medium within medium and then like stepping outside of those boundaries and going and poking you and being like, but you weren't expecting this like, and it fucking works. And, mm-hmm. um, I think it's obvious that this is what the game is doing from the very beginning. Like, I don't want it. That's not really a spoiler because like it's, it makes it very clear that this is what the game is trying to do. Like, let's not. Yeah. Like there's like, there's, it makes, it's making no pretensions that like you're going to play like a straight card game. Yes. Um, 
Like just the fact that like you can stand first, up from the table is already like, oh, or like one okay? of the cards talks to you and like the second turn, it's like, hey, listen to me. This guy's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and there's there's like you it literally like encourages you to break the game. But I don't know it there. I reached one of the big payoffs today. If I don't know if there's going to be a bigger payoff later down the line. I think there actually might. But I wasn't ready. I, I thought I was ready, but I wasn't ready. Like, <laughs> Does it turn into an RTS? No. Age of Empires 3, no. secretly hidden inside of Inscription? No, not necessarily. It's it's like so annoying. I like hate this. Like I, I don't want to like play a game to get to the real game. Like that's not, I'm not like 14 years old, you know? Like I don't want to like lord how far I am in a game over someone at like the lunch table and be like, ha ha ha. You don't know what happens. Keep playing fucker. Like it feels like a virality thing. I feel like it's been tainted by it's the totally virality that. Like the, thing. The, the, the game, like the game is like massive in part because this dude has cultivated an audience of people who expect those things. So like the game was like going to be a hit day one. The game is also like, to be clear, very well made. Like it is a, it's like a good game. Um, it's like very, like it's well designed, looks great, has a great vibe, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But like the, this whole thing is making these games that have these big twists. So they sort of have their own marketing hook, like baked into them. And it's like, what's happens now is that we can't really talk about it because talking about it is a big spoiler, which like makes you excited to go want to play it. And then like, maybe we can like talk about the spoiler Hopefully next episode we'll have like beaten more of it or something. I think that's kind um, of like a cop out though, right? Like it's like saying, oh, I don't want to spoil fucking Space Mountain for you. You know, like the fun of it is experiencing <laughs> it, you know, where it's like, yo, you get ready for that left turn or like there's like a loop that in the <laughs> ride that takes, you know, it's like you know you're going to be scared. You know that there's going to be shit on the ride. But part of the fun is like, letting it take you on that ride. Right. And what we, uh, yes, that makes it harder to talk about the game, but I think just like critiquing whether it does that stuff well is still possible. And I do think that it does it well. I think that, I think that there's like a lot yeah. of like kind of cheesy scares. It's not trying to be high art. It's, it's not like jump scares, but it it's very atmospheric. And I think that there's like some really cool payoff for what they're setting up. And I think that it's well done. Is it like some fucking revelation? I don't know. I don't, I, I don't, I would not say that at this point, but it's got a lot of cool stuff up its sleeve. It's like, it's like a magical novel puzzle box. It's not going to work on you a second time. Yeah. You know, I do like, it is worth saying like the, it feels good getting where it's going, which I think is the worst thing that, or like not doing that is the worst thing one of these games could do is that like the whole game is just a preface. Uh, Doki Doki Literature Club. That's yeah, like the whole like thing. With, you have to play the entire fucking visual novel for like six hours before any of it starts changing into what you are, are pretty sure it's going to become. But there's no like real indication of, you know? Yeah. I think that like that's that's like the structure of the card game itself, I think, is is interesting because the again, I don't know what happens, so I could be totally off base here, but. The, the the card game itself is sort of like um like compelling like it's it's basically like magic um but sort of light 
like L I T E, which is cool. It's like sort of frustrating just like as someone who's played magic or like Josh, you play a lot of Runeterra, like a lot of the keywords are the same. So like stuff like, well, I guess a lot of keywords are same or similar. So there's stuff like flying inscription has its own flying death touch, like um, reach all these like words that you would know if you play card games, inscription has its like sort of own version of, and sometimes they're similar and sometimes they're different. So playing with that is like a little frustrating. Um, but like it's that part is like fine. You're like, okay, cool. Like I'm playing a sort of magic card game and it's like, it's like, all right. I do think the, at least from where I've been at right again, like a little less than two hours in, um, I don't feel like I have a ton of options in the card game thing, which I know is probably a weird thing to say because I'm sure there's some twist that makes that not be the case. But <laughs> at least right now, it feels like often there's like a right card to play um, and you're pretty, you can be heavily punished for not playing the right card. Um, so that's sort of like, I don't know, that's like a little annoying where it just feels like you're not really making you're like making a decision, but there's like, there is like very clearly a right thing to do. And the card game a fucking breaks. It breaks wide open. Just keep it like, yeah, just keep playing. Like it will break wide the fuck. Yeah. Open. But I think, um, to get back to that, like talking about the card game, like we, you can't just talk about the card game because there's constant, constant reminders that like, you're not just playing a game of cards, right? Like, yeah. He and that's that's the thing that you're kind of talking about here that I think this game does well is like it's giving you breadcrumbs like, okay, this is going to change soon. Like some crazy shit's going to happen. Like you're going somewhere. Also, paper, please. Papers, please. I would say is like a good one to compare this to because of like the whole, you know, you start you get this like very rote kind of task in front of you. You get this thing, this flow that you're getting into of playing the game routine. And then Mm -hmm. all of a sudden you start getting like these messages from outside like that are kind of changing your viewpoint and feel like you're someone's reaching out from beyond that fourth wall and this game is constantly doing that of like literally like the way that you keep score is like you have a scale and if it tips if if the scale tips in the favor of your opponent all the way you lose so like one of the ways that you can fucking win is to like literally pull out your tooth and put it on this scale Mm-hmm. like that's a literal thing that you can do. It happens pretty early. I'm not, I'm really trying not to spoil anything while also giving you as much information as possible, but it's like, that's the kind of shit where it's like, you're breaking walls here all the time. And it's like, yeah, it is purposely not a quote balanced game for that reason. But at the same, it's also I not like, like, it's not also not like unbalanced. Like it's still hard to win. So well, it's like, I think it's like weirdly generous. Like, I think especially cause it's sort of showing off like some of its structure of the card game is kind of like roguelikey or not roguelikey. It's like, um, like slate aspire style where you have like a branching path or whatever. And I've like found that like you, yeah, you'll lose probably a few times or whatever, but provided you make the right moves, like there's a lot of opportunities to like upgrade your cards and stuff. So even if the game starts out feeling like, oh, this is like not in my favor or whatever. It's like, oh, actually like just wait like a few turns and you could upgrade your cards and you'll probably do pretty well. Um, Have you finished a run? Just win or lose? Yeah. You lost? Uh, you had to have lost or else you would have seen. I'm trying to remember. So I played, I played it 
I've played like basically the same section twice. I think I beat the prospector in the demo for steam fest. And then the run I just did before the podcast, I died, but I don't remember anything after the process. Yeah. Like so the, end of the, the demo, prospector is like the first boss boss. Yeah. Or actually the angler is the first boss. I think, I think the prospector is the second. No, I had the prospector. Okay. never mind. Maybe it changes. Or maybe that was just something for the demo. Maybe it changes. <laughs> but yeah, it's um I would I would actually like just straight recommend for people to play this game. Like I don't it's cool. Like the I think the art is really great. It's got this like um it I played Into the Pit as well, which you talked about a few episodes ago. Yeah. It's got that kind of vibe to it. It's kind of like crusty polygonal crusty you know what i'm yeah, saying by like that crunchy. it's got that yeah like, it's like like the the ps it's like the ps2 ps1 demake with a lot of like weird pixel shit going on even with these 3d models yeah. um the animations are like really smooth and it uses physics in a way that's really cool too yeah that's like you yeah. have like little counters it's and kinda, stuff it's like, that are like physically on the table in front of you gives this game the sense of like tactility that a lot of card games i think are missing um and it's just like it's like it's like going to an escape room or like puzzle box i fucking love puzzle box games dude like all those flash oh, games this, this is like this is room. like right in your shit escape oh man crimson room, room man all that shit crimson room yeah man so cool but it's like it, the fourth walls thing is just that's great. I love that stuff. Fourth walls. All the, the fourth, <laughs> fifth, sixth, seventh walls, they're all there and they're all going to be broken and you're going to enjoy it. So that's what I just fucking try it out. Play a few runs. Enjoy the, you know, come for the card game. Stay for the bleep. Oh, that was you. Bleeping um, myself out. Yeah. I see. Gotcha. Okay. I was confused for a second. I was like, I don't know what he's, what's he bleeping about? Bleep, 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 bleep oh man i you want to call it i got that like post post gushing about shadow bringers clarity man (laughs) (laughs) you gonna come back to it you gonna like go play it now i love this game man i fucking love this game it's a perfect game there's nothing wrong with it there's there's some things wrong with it but you can just do something else <laughs> if if you don't like what you're doing, which is dope. Sounds good. Anyway, I mean, like you could do something else within the game still. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Wait, we got some user. I played Darkest Dungeon too. Oh, but yes, no, whatever. maybe so. On playing it, how is it? It's really pretty. It's a lot like Darkest Dungeon one, so. Like I tried Darkest Dungeon 1. Dungeon 1 like a month and a half ago again. And I was just like, no, nah, uh-huh. this is just not it. it. That's the thing is like, like I, like I love the idea of Darkest Dungeon. Like, like philosophically. There's so many or, numbers um, for what it is. It's like fucking crit. There's so many it, numbers. Like it feels like a tabletop. It looks like I'm looking at a tabletop game rule book. That's the aesthetic. Which could be cool. Which could be cool. But like, I think the thing that the game does that is like, Dark Dungeon 2 just does this as well is that um I don't know Sid Meier had this phrase where like the computer shouldn't be having more fun than the player 
And I feel like darkest dungeon is all about the computer having more fun than the player. You're like do an action and then like 60 things all pop off all over the place. And you're like, I don't fucking know. I guess I have two stacking status effects now. And like the game is about like getting stressed and like dying and giving up and like that doesn't feel good. Like you just, you can like get into like a death spiral where you're like, why am I still doing my run? Like I'm going to die. I can't. So and I'll play that for like three or four hours. Cause I did buy it. It's like for someone like for someone who likes that type of thing, it is like a great game. I think it is, is doing basically nothing to attract new people who didn't like darkest dungeon one to play darkest dungeon two. So if you didn't like Darkest Dungeon 1, um, stay away, I guess. I don't know. Try it again. Um, yeah. It's just once they start like explaining like these are your debuffs, this is your crit chance. It's like, what? You, 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 I think there's literally me, like, I think there's like literally 30 status effects. And it like shows can, your like, stats on screen at all times. Like, I don't know it. It's too numbersy for me. It's too it's too much. Too much stats. Too much, no more stats, please. I like stats, but hide them so that I can look at them later. Don't make the whole game about the stats. Um, especially when like it's like you think it's gonna be like an atmospheric thing. It is, but it's not like anyway. We got we got some listener questions. We should we should answer some of them. Let's How many switch it. cards do you think you fit in your mouth? Mm, that's a good question. Fifty? Ten to fifteen. 60. <laughs> um, 60? Dude, I got a big mouth. <laughs> but like a switch cart. It's like an like, SD card. Like a small no, SD. No, it's thicker than an SD card. Smaller than an SD card, dude. I literally have one right here. Look at this. All right, put one in your mouth. Let me see it. Video for all those. This is on YouTube. You got to subscribe this to our Patreon. Small, and watch Josh dude, switch this is small, dude. This is small. You feel like you can stuff know. 59 more of those bad boys in your mouth? I can definitely do more than 15. <laughs> <laughs> what game is getting the Josh Calixto game, mouth yeah, treatment right now? This will be bad ends ne- next um, thing, like <laughs> fucking stretch goal, dude. <laughs> we'll just buy 70 games for me to stuff in my mouth. I'm down. I'll do it. I'll I'll stuff games in my mouth. What game would it have to be? <laughs> do you have a Josh? Do you have a guess about what the Nintendo Switch cartridge is officially called by Nintendo? No. No, you have no guess. Switch tablet tabs. Switch tabs. Game card. G- oh yeah, I think I knew that. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> Please insert your game card. Um, why are videos, why are video games? Great question. I too think that culture is dying. (laughs) How many times has Josh cried over a person with cat ears as dialogue in FF 14? (laughs) Well, well, I didn't even cry at the person without cat ears dialogue but i almost the did last one, man. i almost did I almost like did. he didn't have cat ears but he had a fucking jewel in his forehead okay um like a j-u-u-l <laughs> he's just walking <laughs> around <Stuffed. laughs> 
big old fucking <laughs> jewel cartridge, jewel game card in his head. I guess uh, thought this is a very <laughs> half ex, like not very enthusiastic question from Yusef. I guess thoughts about Tim Rogers cyberpunk and everything around that just having finished it. Uh, I haven't watched it Tim yet. Rogers is like, he's a, this being episode 108 and all. Shouts Tim out. Rogers is a generational mind in video games. <laughs> he's got to be one of the greatest critics of video games. But I feel like he could do a video on Final Fantasy 14 and like make the world care. Are you saying that this video of Final Fantasy 14 won't make the world care? <laughs> Just kidding. You don't have to answer. No, Please sorry, don't answer your, that. Um, your, your cat girl montage to the My Hero Academia intro theme is not <laughs> selling me on Final Fantasy 14 like you think it is. Um, uh, yo, at least it's not to the fucking, I don't know, One Piece theme song um he's he's a great writer he does shit that like nobody else would or could do like just the way his brain works is obviously like you're looking at something not normal um and i don't mean that in a bad way <laughs> like tim rogers is on one he's tim rogers has also been on bad end podcast twice twice so we gotta get this man back he's on funny talk about a he's a good here. critic he taught he's like relates complex ideas that you could just there's a lot of ideas out there that you just say when you're critiquing something and nobody will like hear no one will listen because like it's just words dude but when tim rogers spends three hours fleshing out that one concept that you could just say in 10 words he makes you like get it you know he's like the harry dubois of games criticism he just chaos he's like oh you said this thing i'm gonna like think about it and muse on it for 45 minutes yeah and he's got like he's got i won't say like great taste but he has taste you know which is like a lot of people don't having taste is um that's true and he makes just like good stuff like i just had his videos on in the background it was just like it's good shit like i could watch i could watch his videos for eight hours like i won't just be watching it by itself for that amount of time but i think he makes good stuff he's a, obviously a very smart guy um and i think like his survey of the 2010s via cyberpunk is compelling i think that he makes some cool statements and has some good insights i don't know if it's like anything that's like particularly like out there that like people have not thought before but he puts a lot of things into words that like i've been thinking about for a while and that we've even discussed on this show but he like just clarifies and put just flushes them out in a way that i think is unusual in a good way I think like he puts in the time. I think like especially he puts in the fucking time. He puts in the time. You like look at every other YouTube reviewer, and a lot of them sort of come off as like even like the good people come off as sort of like off the cuff a little bit. They're like running B roll that may or may not be related to what they're talking about. And this man like puts in the time. He like writes good, interesting scripts. He like films it all. He like has stuff going on. Like the dude's making fucking art yes i think is the 
the, the thing. And I think that that's not what a lot of people do with crit. Yeah, for sure. It feels David Foster Wallaceian to me at times, but not in like a annoying, like this guy's a fucking douchebag way. Like even as yeah. a person who like sometimes like often tends to like some DFW stuff. Like it's very clear when you're reading the guy that it's like, oh, this guy has got to be insufferable in real life. But like Tim's like, you know, he's, he's got good ideas and he's like, he's got charisma too. Um, are MMOs hitting a resurgence? Yes. No. Yes, they are. New world is another great example of how culture has stopped. It's a fucking like 20, 2008 MMO. What Final Fantasy 14. Play for free. Let me see. I want to look up expansion what the Final 14 player count. It surpassed WoW. It's hitting a resurgence because like WoW is no longer the only thing. Okay, so the thing about this is that they say it's not actual active players. It's accounts is what they count as. I have a fucking account. That doesn't mean that I'm a player of Final Fantasy 14. No, but active players, I would deign to imagine... Is that a real term? Is that a real thing to say? Deign to imagine. There's DAO, daily active users. Oh, deign to imagine, maybe. So at peak, it has around 35,000 players. So it shot up a lot. So in 2019, it was at like 15,000 players. And then it's sort of steadily rising. And then actually this year has like, it went up really high in June. Did something happen in June? Do you know? No. Well, it spiked in June and now it's at 35,000. So it's been like steadily growing. It's like an overnight success, six years in the making, as they would say in the, in the business. But I wouldn't say it's like in resurgence tier. I mean, you look at like New World for references at 250,000 concurrent. So I don't think they're having a resurgence. I think there's just a few big things, but that's not indicative of a movement. I think like if you fucking think back to like when wow was happening, like every major studio was like making an MMO that is like not happening now. Like don't forget overwatch like used to be like blizzards new MMO. Like they were like working on that stuff and like all those plans for those MMOs like either failed or got scrapped like that. Like that was like resurgence time, but we're not seeing that. If anything, it's like more Fortnite platform games or like, and those, those are kind of MMOs, but that's different than an MMORPG. Memorperg. Memorperger. Was there another? I think there was maybe one more. Someone asked, are you going to play the new Mario Party? Probably. I read yesterday, someone said that it was the best Mario Party ever, in part because it takes all the best parts of all the other Mario Parties and puts them all in one game which is compelling. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I will play the new Mario party once, maybe twice as is tradition with all Mario parties. Is, is it free on Nintendo 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 pass? Nintendo, Ninty pass? Ninba? Ninpa? N-Pass? Sorry, I messed up the video by means. Um, I feel like we're really dragging the bottom of the podcast. Game bucket. Fuel ran out that was bad end podcast episode 108 (laughs) thanks for listening as always i'm josh cook that's kyle cook still you can find us on the internet we're on twitter 
at badendpodcast. You can email us at badendpod at gmail.com. Rate us and review us on iTunes, please. It's very helpful. Uh, you can go, we got a YouTube channel. If you want to watch this in live video motion and watch some of the clips that we're talking about, uh, see some of what we're talking about in action. You can also have this open in a different tab as you're watching something else on your computer, uh, blah, blah, blah. My lighting looks very lush as the it people on the Discord were discussing. Um, let's see. Yeah, uh, Superculture is the network that we're a part of. Check that out, Superculture Net. Um, am I missing anything? iTunes, Spotify, all that shit. Patreon.com slash bad end. The Discord is there. But yeah, that's about it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you in a couple of weeks. Laters. See ya.